the last couple of weeks, I've been talking, uh, it's kind of been going in this flow of this theme of uh, a few weeks ago was letting go, which is such a core teaching of Buddhism, really. You know, if clinging is suffering, then letting go is the antidote to suffering and, and, and distress and discomfort. If we're holding on to stuff that is um, ephemeral, we're going we're gonna, to uh, struggle because it's impossible to hold on to things that are gone or, or passing away. So letting go. And then the next week I talked about kind of just being, because when you're able to finally let go, you, you create this space for what's actually there. If your mind is caught in stories of what it's supposed to be like, and I need this to happen, and I need that relationship, and I need you to behave this way, and I need you to be the person I want you to be, if we're caught in that cycle, then we don't make any space for what actually is. And so when you let go, you, you're able to drop into um, this awakened awareness, this, this deeper wisdom that we have, especially after practicing for a while. We have this, this seeing, we have this way to see more clearly what's happening. And that's kind of like the instructions I was giving when you see clearly what's happening. See if you're getting caught up in wanting things to be different. See if you're getting caught up in restlessness. Uh, there's some agitation. Instead of running with it, going, identify it as, a, oh, there's agitation present rather than, I hate this, why? So there's this way of relating to your experience that's different. And when you can drop below the, the craving and the aversion and just be, there's, you can see more clearly. And last week I was talking about the hindrances, which are those obstacles to awareness. And then this, this week, I, I want to talk about change and transition, which is another, for me, it's, it's kind of moving in this direction. I am um, reading this book called The Way of Transition uh, by a man named William Bridges, which I think is cute. He's writing about transition. His name is Bridges. But he wrote a book called Transition, Transitions or Transition back in like 1980. Has anybody read that or heard of it? Yeah. I read it about 25 years ago, and then when I did chaplaincy training, they had us read it. So I read, I read it a couple of times, and it was really, really quite good. It, he talked, I haven't read it in a while, but his basic premise is that, you know, we have endings to things, and then we're always on to the beginning. We want to find what's next, what's next, what's next. And it could be, we could have end a job on a Friday and start a job on a Monday. We can you know, be, you know, get married, so we're ending a single life or starting a married life or a relationship or vice versa. And we want to be on to the next, we want to know, and he says we don't give enough attention to the transition period because, and, and the emotions that arise. And I thought it was a really good book. And I was talking to a friend of mine last year, and he said, have you read his other one, The Way of Transition, which he wrote around 1999 or 2000, so like 20 years after the first one. And he wrote this after his wife died. And so he found a, a, an experience of transition unlike his prior experience. In fact, it, this experience he went through, which he talks about very very deeply in the book, is um, kind of shattered his earlier ideas and took him to a deeper level, which is kind of really um, 
really is like what the this Buddhist teaching is like I was just talking about when you just let go of your fixed ideas and what things need to be and stay with what your actual experience is and be with what is present rather than what you want to be present. There's a wisdom that you can you can uh, connect with. So I wanted to kind of go through some of that. It's it's not Buddhist. He's not Buddhist at all. Um, I don't know if he has any, you know, stu has studied it, but I find so many things align with these teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha's teachings are so practical and so um, applicable to today. They've transformed my life. So I wanted to, that's what I wanted to talk about today. And <clears throat> transition and change and change is really a key teaching, this, this idea of impermanence and things just not staying the same so that we actually are, there's transitioning happening all the time. And that's a, that's a core teaching of Buddhism, that things change. Right now it's like this. We want it to be like that, but it's actually like this. So how do we hold that? How do we relate to that? And he talks about, um, and I want to also um, uh, invite anyone, who has, if you have questions, as we move through this, as I'm talking, please feel free to say what or question or anything. Um, this is for me. This is an exploration of this because I'm just reading this. I'm almost I'm almost done with it. So I was, as I was putting this together the other day, I go, Mary, you think you might want to finish the book before you start talking about it? But no, it's fine. Um, so what he talks about when it's time to what it. When he's talking about when it's time to let go of things. Oh, I, I want to talk about a little bit more backstory of this. His wife had struggled with cancer for a couple of years, and she was really aware, and she was very self-aware, and she wrote journals and, and was really kind of tracking her relationship to the cancer and the illness and her, her partner and the children and um, the world around her. So it was a very, uh, uh, you know, some people are in great denial about a terminal disease and I'm gonna get over this to their deathbed. My mother-in-law was that person. And she was not, she was like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what's happening right now. And so, and he um, was along for the ride and you know, and he was with her, um, he was laying in the bed next to her when she passed away. I think he was asleep and when he woke up, he realized she was gone. And, you know, I thought it was this great love story. But then he starts getting into what a trouble. They had a lot of problems in their marriage. And she blamed him for this and he blamed her for that. And I found actually that was quite refreshing because a lot of times you read these things and you're like, oh, they had the perfect story. And it's like, no. And so all of, all of a sudden for him, what he was realizing these transitions, like he no longer has that role, either that role of who he was or who she said he was and what he took on. And, and anyway, so it's really quite extraordinary. But he's talking about when it comes time to let go. And this is very, very much a Buddhist idea, at least as how I understand some of these teachings. What it is time to let go of is not so much the relationship or the job itself, but rather the hopes, fears, dreams, and beliefs that we have attached to them. If you let go of only the job or the relationship, you'll just find another one and attach the same hopes, fears, dreams, and beliefs to it. And I, and I've, 
that's so core of what the Buddha teaches, that we want the shiny, we want whatever it is we want, we have deemed this to be what we want, whatever it is. It's different for each of us, and it changes throughout our life. And that, should, that is what we put our hopes, our, our dreams in. And then that doesn't come through. So then we move on to the next one. Well, that relationship didn't work. That job didn't work. That house didn't work. That, that country I lived in didn't work. I'll move on to the next one. But to truly let go, we have to realize it's not the thing itself, but what we're attaching to it. So attachment, clinging equals suffering. When we let go of that, when we begin to see what we've invested in that, then we begin to get some freedom. And he said, um, what I had to let go of had far less to do with um, vocational activity or geography than with the programming that had carried me, carried me through the first 40 years of my life. He, saw he had to get rid of his conditioning. Which is, which is the Buddha says we are conditioned beings. And all of the conditioning that we carry, the, the messages we've been given, the, the, the things we hear, um, the messages we receive about your this, whether it's from our family, whether it's from school, whether it's from random strangers on the street, whether it's from society, you know, because of what we look like, because of where we come from, because of what, who we love, because of all, any number of things. There's so much systemic, uh, so many systemic issues that, that, you know, condition us. We've got all these myriad things we have to contend with that have us going in a particular direction. I talked about this, I mentioned this last week, but or the week before. Um, you know, I had a friend, I was having breakfast with a friend of mine who is moving. She left, uh, she moved to Oregon to take care, or move in with her mom who um, had moved up there a few years ago. And but we were having lunch, a breakfast and she was talking about when she was in college, she had a relationship, was in a relationship with a guy and it was abusive. And um, what she had was this image of who he was. He didn't match that the reality did not match the image but she decided for whatever reason that this is who he was and so she held on to that and kept going back even though he didn't physically beat her but he was abusive in many other ways until she I think he finally left her <laughs> sometimes that's what it takes we can't even get our way out of those situations it's because we're we have these blinders on we have this delusion that we live in and so when we are in, in these teachings, these teachings tell us we have to wake up to that. If you are in dis, dis, dissatisfaction, distress, um, suffering is the word that's often used, but um, unease, waking up to paying attention to your relationship to things, not the things themselves. It's not the shiny object that's going to bring you happiness. You have to recognize your relationship to it and you have to identify that. That's, we have to let go of our programming. That's where we, that's when we begin to move towards this freedom and this spaciousness. And even if we can't let go of it, to become aware of it and begin to identify it. And say, so, you know, there, this, this, this deep sense of inadequacy, of always being on the outside looking in, that's kind of part of my story. 
when I start feeling it, I have a choice to go with it and go into the poor me's. I'm on the uh, one more time, I'm not getting picked for the team, or whatever it is. Or say, oh, look, here comes that deep conditioning again. Am I going to recognize it and be gentle with it and compassionate towards it? Or, or stuff it down? Or, you know, deny it and try and force my way into things? Or we have a choice. When we're paying attention, we have a choice. When we're not paying attention, we're just drug along by these things. So he says, we, you know, we have to begin to um, see what we attach to these things, what hopes and fears are attached and dreams are attached to our wanting things to be a certain way, our desires. Nothing wrong with a desire. It's when it becomes a got a habit craving that it shifts over to that, um, that, that detrimental, detrimental relationship. He talks about um, um, reorientation is uh, the essential function of transition. We reorient ourselves to our world, to how we relate in the world. And I remember I did a talk about, I, had, I did a Dharma talk a few years ago, and the title of this was Reorientation. How you begin to shift how you see the world. You begin to wake up and come out of the, start seeing the, um, the, the, the water you're swimming in by, by practicing. And it's uh, reorientation is transition's essential function, even in matters of life and death. There's a constant shifting of what we see and what is. We begin to really align ourselves with reality instead of our vision. It's so clear in today's world. It's so clear in this... this um, micromanaged view that is spoon-fed to us, that people can see the exact same thing, they can hear the exact same words, and come up with two totally different explanations or experiences of it. And you're like, well, what? what is it? This, this thing is seemingly what it is, this candle is this candle, but you say it's one thing and the other person says it's the other thing. It's not the candle. It's all the baggage. It's all our conditioning that we bring to it. So we have to recognize that and be willing to own that, reorient ourselves. It's like years ago when I realized that M&Ms were not inherently evil. <laughs> that it was my relationship to them that I needed to change and shift. It's like, oh yeah, it's not them, it's, it's how I interact with them. That's what's, that's what's gotta, gotta, gotta be investigated. And then Eric Fromm, what was it he wrote? Does anybody remember what he wrote? I don't remember. I'll have to look it up, or not. He says, the whole life of the individual is nothing but the process of giving birth to himself. Indeed, we should be fully born when we die, although it is the tragic fate of most individuals to die before they are born. It's our, it's our um, 
life is the process of giving birth to ourselves. And again, I think this fits in with what we're taught. What I've been talking about is we have this conditioning, and we live for many years without an awareness of this conditioning. Many years, and to wake up to it is what we want to do. To be born, and I and I do the facilitate the year to live group, and it's you take a year living as though it's your last year to live, and it's a lot of this process. What are you carrying that doesn't serve? What baggage do you have? Don't die before you are born, before you wake up and can shed this stuff. There's a there's a guy Tim who lives out in.、Um, Redlands or that area, San Bernardino. He used to come to my class a lot, and he has the most interesting story.、Um, he was a skinhead when he was a teenager, and he would hang around and prowl in Hollywood, and you know, neo-Nazi skinhead. And they, he, he, and some friends saw were in Hollywood and came across、uh, a gay man and beat the shit out of him and left him to die in this. Parking lot somewhere, and I don't remember when it was after that that he kind of came to and realized what he was doing was horrific, and kind of got out of that whole scene, and was now working in another arena. And、um, he was actually at the Museum of Tolerance, kind of doing、uh, some work about you know I don't know talking about reform, skinhead, and here's my story and and what happened and. He met a guy who was working at the Museum of Tolerance. They had a conversation. One thing led to another, and he realized they realized that this guy who was working at the Museum of Tolerance was the person that he left for dead in the parking lot. They made a documentary of it a few years ago. It was, it was nominated for an Academy Award,、um, and it's really powerful. But you know, he was in this milieu that this is what is real. This is what is right. And to wake up to that and shift and change, that is, you know, that is our our、um, our job. Just because we've always done it doesn't mean it's what we're always supposed to do. You know, I was this, I spent this morning at a workshop. I went to this workshop with a man. His name is the Reverend Jim Lawson. I, I've、uh, I've spoken about him a lot recently because I've all of a sudden come into contact with him and been in a number of Arenas where he is, and he is the person who taught nonviolence and trained the people in the civil rights movement back in the '50s and early '60s. Before there was ever a sit down at a lunch counter, he the, those folks studied with Jim Lawson for two years. For two years before they ever did any kind of action, and.、Um, Yeah, he's like 91, and he's still this force of nature. He is extraordinary, and he does these nonviolent workshops every every month down at、um, Holman United Methodist Church in West Adams. And so I, was, I went to that this morning, and it's just extraordinary. And、um, Where am I going with that? I don't know. I'm just maybe because I'm so moved by it. But you know, and I yeah, I read Jim John Lewis's、um, memoir a few years ago.、Um, John Lewis is the congressman from the Atlanta area who was in Selma and everything, and、uh, 
all the, he was the leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the, in the 60s. And I went home when I first ran into Reverend Lawson a number of months ago, and I pulled John Lewis's book off the shelf, and sure enough, there's Reverend Jim Lawson and John Lewis talking about how he shifted the whole trajectory of his life, this man. So this guy is quite extraordinary. But um, I was talking about nonviolence in Gandhi because it's the 150th anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi's um, birth and how powerful he was in his story and his message. And, you know, the message of nonviolence uh, is, is just treating everyone is in, with this integrity and not reacting, not becoming the thing you're fighting against. You know, it's so easy to get into that place of, of fighting back, but to really, he believes, to um, enact change and to change the world, you need to come from a whole different point of view. Which is, I know this is where I was going with it, which is a whole lot of letting go. It's a whole lot of letting go. It's not even self-defense. And that, you know, and, and this is what this is what um, uh, John Lewis was referring to when, when he was talking about crossing the bridge in Selma and seeing the, the guy come at him with the baseball bat. What he did in that moment was it took as everything he had to look at that guy with the baseball bat and try and find the humanity in him and bring graduate level, postdoc level of compassion towards that person and say, what's driving this guy to want to do this? So this is, this is really, you know, all part and parcel of this transition, this changing, this willingness to let go of the shit that we carry with us that we think, you know, get out of our bubbles. Get out of our bubbles. And the Buddha taught a whole way of living with integrity and not causing harm, the precepts, you know? Being wise and careful with our speech and not, not intentionally taking a life or causing harm and not just that, but cultivating compassion, cultivating generosity. How to live in that way. Um, he then, um, Shifting gears a little bit, there's this other uh, piece he talks about in here where even things, you know, watching how easy it is to get caught up in ideas and how something as simple as pessimism and optimism are things that take us away from what's happening right now. And I love this. This, um, that I never thought of this this way. He says, I, f I really, he's talking about his wife, and anyway, he goes, I realized that I had to resist the easy way out, easy ways out offered by both pessimism and optimism. Pessimism sees all value residing in the past. It offers the reactionary escape from uncertainty by saying, nothing good lies ahead. Everything of value exists in the way things used to be. Optimism locates all value in the future and is based on the progressive escape from uncertainty. It says, 
I'll be okay as soon as I get beyond the way things are now to a better destination, I keep telling myself lies ahead. Really interesting. Pessimism is like, you know, the good old days, and optimism is this, it'll be better then. That's not being with what is. That's not staying in the present moment. So even identifying something as simple as pessimism and optimism, and paying attention to that and seeing how it takes us away from where we are. It's really extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. Um, there's, and he also then starts talking about Joseph Campbell and the journey and, and having that journey being a part of the transition. Um, and really transition, he says it's not, what we're doing is not just ending and then waiting for the next thing to start, but probably transition is most of where we are. We're in this constant state of moving from one thing to the next, and we get into trouble when we want to codify and reify and solidify. That's when we struggle. But if we can maintain this fluidity, which I think is equanimity, this, this ability to be with whatever is, pleasant or unpleasant, if we can cultivate that and develop that way of being, there's some, there's some ease, there's some contentment, even if it's crappy, even if life is crappy, we can have this ease with it. I've had that experience in my life where really difficult things are happening, but I still have this sense of it's not because we did anything wrong. It's not because, you know, and it's going to get better. It's just like right now it's like this. Right now it's like this, and we are able to hold it. We're able to be deeply intimate with our experience without preference. Deeply intimate with our experience without preference without needing to be optimistic or pessimistic. You know, and, and Joseph Campbell, who I have not read any of his books, was the, the hero with a thousand faces. No, should, should be that. He talks about the passage of the mythological hero may be from one geographical place to another, but fundamentally it is inward into the depths where obscure resistances are overcome and long-lost forgotten powers are revivified to be made available for the transfiguration of the world. The journey is inward, you know, that long dark night of the soul. That's what the practice of Vipassana is, of, of meditation. It's awakening. The Buddha woke up because he was willing to sit and turn towards what was inside. What's arising? What have you stuffed all your life? What are those fears? It can be something, and I don't want to say simple, but simple, it's like if you've been told you're not allowed to feel a certain way, and you've spent your whole life crushing that down, whether it's anger or, or sadness, you know, whatever that is, the willingness to feel that, turn inwards towards that, is powerful. That's the transition. That's the journey. 
I laugh because uh, I, it's, I, do, I lead a meditation a couple of times a week at a yoga studio near my house, and they have these little sayings. And last week I pulled one out, and that's what I, that's kind of spurred me to talk about hindrances. And this one I pulled one out this week as well. And it said, getting lost may help you find yourself. That's what this is. Not needing to stay on the path, not needing to, you know, find out what the next road is. All we have is what's in front of our face. That's all we have. You know, and he, when he talks about the hero's journey in this book, he, he gives the example, and he goes through in great detail, um, The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy's journey, you know, from Kansas to Oz, and then to the Emerald City, and then the wizard saying, yeah, go out, go find the witch. And, and you know, it's, that's the quest. And it's not about, you know, winning, getting the broomstick, and bringing it back to the uh, wizard. It's about her internal journey. It's all these myth, myths about the quest, Odysseus and, and the Odyssey, and um, lots of different cultures have this. It's this transformation. It's the transformation. Transformation is the true destination of transition, whether it occurs in a myth or in everyday life. And um, it's so funny, a friend of mine posted this the other day from Bhante Gunaratana, who is a teacher. Um, I think he's in, he's in North Carolina. Uh, and he said, she posted this quote of his just the other day. The purpose of Vipassana meditation, which is what we do, insight meditation, the purpose of Vipassana meditation is nothing less than the radical and permanent transformation of your entire sensory and cognitive experience. It's nothing less than the radical and permanent transformation of your entire sensory and cognitive experience. I knew this priest once, and um, Father Terry used to teach a lot in, in the LA area. He said, um, "We are here to, we are here to dis destroy your agenda, something like that." We're here, to, and that's what this is: this radical transformation of the way you think things need to be. Getting caught up in outcomes and endings. That's really what we, we, we want to do. You know, and he talks about getting careful not be careful not to get hung up on the outcome or result. It's about the process. And it's like I talked to I talked to a couple of months ago about the idea of the Bodhisattva, who is in, in Mahayana tradition, this being who is willing to forego their own enlightenment until all beings are enlightened until there's no suffering. You know, suffering is, is endless, I vow to end it. You know, beings are numberless, I vow to save them all. So that's part of the Bodhisattva vow. And so in this article on being a Bodhisattva, Diana Winston, um, who's a teacher here in Los Angeles, she said, you have to think in geologic time, too. You can't just say, I want this tomorrow. I want it to be done now. It's like, it takes what it takes. You start, we start where we are. You can't start anywhere but where our feet are. And then we take the next step and the next step. And, and hopefully move in this process of transition, move in this process of awakening. It's really, I think it's a powerful um, and really freeing way to be where you don't have to land. Now, I've been in this process of transi transition for the last 
since October. How many months is that? It's a long month. It's many months. It's almost two hands. <laughs> it's almost these many fingers. So that's all, and I don't, I have no idea where I'm going. It's really interesting, and it's okay. It's really okay to be in that place, which is very different from the type of place I used to be in. I used to think I had to figure it all out. And I'd spend months and years on my couch trying to figure out the right answer and never coming up with the right answer because every time I came up with an answer, I'd go, oh yeah, but what if that happens? So that would like take that, what it, you know, that would blow that answer off the table. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't apply to college because I didn't know what I wanted to study. Because, you know, the thing you pick in college to study is where you're going to spend the rest of your life. And I loved that he actually talked about that in here. And I'm like, I know, totally. So, you know, we, we just don't know. We just kind of do what makes sense at the time. We have, that's all we have. We can't predict the future. If I do this, then it will work out perfectly. We just have to relinquish control. So, let's see if I have anything else. I had this other sutta that, um, you know, uh, oh, there's a sutta that talks about Sariputta, one of the Buddha's um, closest uh, uh, comrades. And he was uh, asked, he was teaching, and he asked the, the people listening, is there anything whose changing would cause sorrow, lamentation, distress, and despair? And he said, no, there shouldn't be anything that the changing causes this, this suffering. There shouldn't be anything. And then Ananda, another one of the Buddha's attendants, said to him, well, what about when the Buddha dies? How are you going to feel then? And he said, well, there will be sadness for this man not still being here to offer his wisdom. But I'm not going not gonna to really suffer about it. Just acknowledging that there is, you know, there is life, there is death. It's part of the human condition. But I'm not going to you know, struggle so much over it because we get into this place of, no, it can't be, instead of going, it's like this. It's like this. So those are my thoughts on transition and change and shifting awareness and freedom. And I'd love to hear any questions or comments or rebuttals you have. I'm all about rebutting everything I say.